I've had enough of it. So have ye. Today on the programme, good news for higher education. We're looking at that on today's programme. We're also looking at diabetes uh, today. Tax and revenue, by the way, they've just published some new information. We're going to UHG to get an update from Chris Kane on that. We have an amazing and sad, very, very sad book uh, today uh, on the programme. We'll be looking at that on today's uh, programme. Also on today's programme, we are going to be... um, Talking indeed about the Balanced Low District and Hirsch's Centre. We'll be looking at that on today's programme and much more between now and 12 midday. Comment lines are open though if you want to get through to us on 086 It is a Wednesday morning, a very good morning to you. Hello, very good morning to you. Welcome in. Don't forget to History Talks today is uh, Tony Claffey from Toome Cathedral as well. And uh, he's a wonderful man, a wonderful historian. And John spent some time in his company. And uh, we'll be looking at that. And don't forget too, we'll have uh, Ask the Dentist and Dave McCarthy will be joining us too. All of that and more uh, between now and 12 midday. Now there's some good news coming the way indeed overnight from Minister Simon Harris. Uh, because last week you might remember Minister for Further Education Research and Innovation and Science, Simon Harris and the Minister for Housing and Local Government and Heritage, R. O'Brien, and the Minister for Public Expenditure, they all came together uh, to unveil indeed uh, new accommodation and facilities indeed and funding when it comes to accommodation. So let me go to the telephone lines at this stage and I should have uh, Minister Simon Harris uh, joining me today in this regard. Minister, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Two key Thank messages. You. I want to start with accommodation first off. It's always a, a difficult subject. Uh, what's your plan here, can I ask you? Well, look, I was delighted to be in Galway recently to open 674 more student accommodation beds in the University of Galway. But I was very clear when I was there that that wasn't the end of the matter for Galway uh, or indeed for the Western region. Uh, last week, I received government approval uh, really for a new approach uh, to student accommodation. It means a number of things. It means we'll be working with what we call the traditional universities like the University of Galway to try and get more projects underway. And we're already in discussion with them uh, about a further 200 beds uh, that they hope to be in a position to deliver. But also from a technological university point of view, and you and I have spoken about the Atlantic Technological University many times, I was very, very eager that we could get a program in place for the technological universities to start planning to build their own college-owned student accommodation. And I got government agreement now to write to all of the technological universities this month and invite them to send in proposals, ideas um, for student accommodation uh, by the end of March. So I suppose a new approach and, and an important step forward. Now, I do know that the universities have access to to special funding indeed for accommodation. Will the ATUs have access to that funding right now? So myself and Pascal Dunne are going to work out the funding mechanism, but being very honest, before we fund anything, we have to have plans. And as of today, we don't have any plans for any technological universities that have been submitted to the department. So the first agreement I got from government was to invite them all to put in their proposals, uh, to write to them this month, to get them in by March. And then in parallel, myself and Pascal Donoghue will identify the best way to help fund these projects. It, it may be the same way we help the traditional universities, but, but if, if there's quicker ways or better ways, we'll be open to doing that as well. I suppose really from speaking with um, people within ATU and otherwise, it's getting access to the funds um, to put the accommodation in place, to have the space, but it's to get access to the funds. So that's something that you can you will be looking at. 
Yeah, no, what, I, what I'm very clearly saying is the government will be providing funding to the technological universities. I'm just giving all of us the flexibility to decide how best to do that. You know, it may be, um, it may be that a technological university can identify vacant buildings near their community, vacant buildings on their campus. They may want a grant to help prepare them and turn them into student accommodation. It may be that they know of a, of a local developer or a developer indeed in the area who, who had a planning permission that hasn't been activated. And, and you know, if, if the university and the government are willing to provide some support that could perhaps be activated for student accommodation. It may be a public-private partnership. It may be um, access to the borrowing framework. So I, I don't want us to be prisoner um, to any one kind of method because, you know, accommodation and housing supply is, is such a massive issue and we have to do everything humanly possible to get supply moving. I, I should just also say two other points, if you don't mind, on accommodation. I, I have made it very, very clear to all of the universities that as we start funding new projects, we will only fund projects that are, let's call it standardised design. And when I spoke to students in Galway recently, some of them said to me, look, you know, a lot of the accommodation on offer is too high spec. Now, different people will have different perspectives, but they actually say, you know, we, we want good, decent, basic accommodation that is affordable. So what I've agreed with the universities, what I've agreed with the student unions um, and the Department of Housing is that we'll do standardised design. So, that, you know, there'll be two or three models, uh, templates, and if the government is funding it, you build student accommodation to that spec. Um, of course, if the government isn't, that's a different matter. And the second thing is, for every cent we put in, we will expect the same number of beds, same proportion of beds to be ring-fenced and offered at below market rate uh, to students um, financially most in need, students with a household income below 100,000 um, who qualify for, for student grant support. I do know that last year on the programme, um, President Kieran Ogata of the University of Galway did speak about when we were growing up and going to college, we didn't have en suites in every room. The uh, facility you opened the other um, week indeed was of a very high standard. I know he's talking about a development and that's the 200 beds I think we're talking about here today in Wood Quay. Mm. But again, there mm. wouldn't be an en suite in every room because the students don't have it at home and they don't expect it. So I think that model will work very well. Yeah, look, and I, I think Kieran O'Hurkerty and, and indeed Orla Flynn and ATU are, are both incredible leaders. In fairness to Kieran and the University of Galway, they ploughed on and continue to provide student accommodation. You know, students may uh, raise legitimate issues around affordability. I don't dismiss them, but it is absolutely vital that that university showed real leadership in delivering it. And I know Orla Flynn and the ATU are chomping at the bit uh, to be able to do similar. I should just say when it comes to affordability, for every parent listening to this programme and any student, if you're a parent and your son or daughter is in college and they're living in digs or college accommodation or private rental accommodation, we have now extended the renter's tax credit that you, the parent, can claim €750 back towards the cost of their rent. So there could be a lot of people listening in today who are paying for a son or daughter to live in accommodation in Galway, and they may not know that because that change only came in this month. So if that could be you, um, go to to revenue.ie and you can see how to claim it. It's worth, worth getting that out there. Can I go to the funding for um, remote campus? If you take the ATU in Galway, we've got Letterfrack and we've got Mount Bellew, and then they have others indeed dotted around the region that they're looking after. Um, what, what funding are you looking at? What funding model are you looking at here? Yeah, so look, I think when we look at the Atlantic Technological University, and I'm so proud of it, I'm so proud of the impact it make, it's already making in the region. I was with them in Killybegs and Letterkenny um, on Monday. I've been in Sligo, Castlebar, Galway um, many, many times. And 
I'm really conscious, though, that the strength of the Atlantic Technological University is the fact that it's multi-campus, that it's really serving the region. But I'm also really conscious that that's expensive. Um, if you have to run nine campuses like ATU has, um, and you have to provide, you know, on a basic level, you have to provide core staff in each of them. You have to provide student facilities, maybe sports facilities. Um, you've, you're maybe dealing with smaller classes and some of the smaller campuses. There's value in all of this, real value, value to rural Ireland, value to regional Ireland, value to education but it also costs money. So we, I've put in place a new fund and we're calling it the Distributed Campus Support Fund. But basically it means if you're a university that has more than one campus, you can draw down money from this. There's four and a half million euro a year and Atlantic Technological University is actually getting the lion's share because it is the biggest in terms of multi-campus. It will receive 2.66 million euro and that will empower their president and, and, and leadership team to invest some of that funding in some of the smaller regional campuses. I'm thinking like you of the letter frax, the Mount Bellews, mm-hmm. places that we know are making a huge impact uh, to the region and to rural communities. Uh, but we just need to make sure we financially support them. So I know that's been very, very welcomed by, by AT. The region is so big indeed. I did say to Orla Flynn when she um, became president that she'd need to get a helicopter. Maybe some of that 2.66 million could be put towards a little single-seater helicopter to get around the region because it well, is... Well, I, well, I should reassure your listeners that that's not the intention <laughs> uh, of the fund for Orla to buy a helicopter. But, but, but I, do want, I do want to take the serious point you make. I, I'm just blown away um, by how fortunate we are in, in this country to have the leadership team we have in Galway and in the West and Northwest, yeah. uh, be, it, be it Kieran O'Hogarty and his team in the University of Galway, uh, real leaders, real, real leaders in innovation and in research, uh, but also in, in, in other areas like active consent and safe campuses, one leading the way in terms of supporting people needing to take leave for domestic violence. I mean, just incredible leadership going on in Galway. And then in the Atlantic Technological University, a university that's only a few years old, as you say, massive region to cover. And, and they've really hit the ground running. They're making a huge impact. Like I was there in Killybegs the other day, you know, a thriving seaside town. And now they're introducing like apprenticeships. You'll go from having yeah. 60 students in that campus this year to 190 more apprentices joining them for the first time ever apprenticeships in Killybegs. Like that's a very practical difference that they're making. And they're showing huge ambition um, in terms of things like wanting to host pharmacy um, in the region, wanting to host a veterinary college uh, in the region, and and you know, I, I just I think we should we should commend the scale of their ambition. We will meet them halfway in terms of trying to provide funding and, and support to turn that ambition into reality. Well, I'm old enough to remember the day that it opened as the RTC, and proud to see it becoming the ATU. Minister Simon Harris, thank you so much for joining us today. Have good a good and a safe day, and. Uh, Thank you so much indeed for the attention that you're giving to education, higher education in the West of Ireland. Minister Simon Harris, thank you. Have a good day. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Now, very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. Yesterday, Revenue launched an information campaign for PAYE taxpayers and actually Nee Whelan, uh, Revenue's national PAYE manager, uh, joins me on the line today. Ashley, good to have you on board. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Lovely to be here and thanks very much for inviting me. Thanks indeed for joining us uh, today. It's very important that people listen because some people just kind of switch off when we talk about tax and all that, but this is to their benefit, Ashling. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people can be a bit daunted by the, the thoughts of tax return, but it's really very straightforward process. So as you can see from the uh, statistical report we released yesterday, we've seen a 30% year-on-year increase in people f- coming in and filing a tax return and like there's a lot of refunds there, um, over 200 
75,000 of those people got a refund and the average refund was about 700 euro. So what I would say to people is don't be scared. It's a very simple process. You log into your My Account. We have a preliminary end of year statement there. And what that means is all the information that we have on our records about an individual is displayed there. And you just have to review that and, you know, you might say, oh, well, do you know what? I had health expenses last year or I was paying rent. I'm entitled to the rent tax credit. So you just go in then to the income tax return. Again, review everything, claim any additional credits that you're entitled to, remove any maybe that are no longer relevant. Or if you have additional income, perhaps you're renting a room in your home, you declare that there and you submit your return. And if you're due a refund, you'll get that refund within three to five working days to your bank account. So it's a very straightforward process for the majority of people. And it's very seamless as well for people, to be quite honest. I mean, and if you have um, medical bills or you've got, you know, the, all you have to do really is go into revenue and, and have a look and see what you can do. Or again, if as Simon Harris said to us just a few minutes ago there, Minister Simon Harris, if you've got a student in college, you can claim some of that back. So there's... There's multiple ways of doing it and you don't have to pay big money to somebody to do it on your behalf. No, absolutely not. And I suppose that's an important uh, point to say to people like this service is absolutely free. And if you're nervous, you can go onto our website. There's loads of useful information there about the various credits, including the rent tax credit. Um, you know, and it, it explains the criteria what you have to do and there's different ways you can claim different credits some credits you can claim during the year so you you'd see the benefit of the tax credit that way in your wages every week or if you want to claim it retrospectively for a previous year you do a true file in the income tax return but you're right it's absolutely free there's no charge there's useful videos on our website that show people how to go through the different process again if they're a little bit nervous and um, so it really is well worth people's while to just go in and have a look Actually, somebody just texted it in here, and I don't know the answer to it, to be honest. Uh, but can you claim anything in relation to uh, mortgage or interest that you pay in your mortgage? Yeah, so that's a, a new credit that uh, was introduced in the budget last year. Um, and it's for the difference people paid in their interest between... 2022 and 2023 and the facility to claim that actually will become available in the income tax return next week so there's two pieces of information that you have to um, have in order to claim that so you need to have your certificate of mortgage interest for 2022 and your certificate of mortgage interest for 2023 and then you need to confirm what your mortgage balance was on the 31st of December 2022 and it applies for people um, who have mortgage which balances up between 80,000 and 500,000 at the end of 2022. Yeah. So the increase, it's subject to a cap of 6,250. So you can claim up to 20% of that. So the maximum tax credit for um, some people, unfortunately, will be 1,250 for anyone who's seen a big increase in their interest rate. So that's a, that's a really worthwhile one. There's lots of information on our website about it. So again, if anyone is unsure or they want to get any clarification, have a look there. And as I said, it'll be available to claim from next week. Uh, somebody else just texted in and said, I have a special needs son and uh, I have to spend a lot of money on an ongoing basis to get private health care for him. Um, can I claim against that? Yeah, so... Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry. So, yeah, no, again, so th th there's two points to that. So if somebody has a child who has additional needs, there is an additional credit that's available for them. And it's called the incapacitated child care credit. 
Um, again, all the information is on our website, so it would be useful for that person to have a look at that. Separate to that, if they are incurring qualifying health expenses, they can claim them. Um, again, they can do that in your in year so they can get the relief during the year through their, their wages or they can do it retrospectively by uh, filling in a tax return. So what I'll say is where people have um, private health insurance, Say for argument's sake, you spent a thousand euro on qualifying health expenses, consultants' visits, or whatever, and your uh, health insurer refunded you two hundred euro for those expenses. Then the amount that you would claim in your income tax return is the difference, so the eight hundred euro. So just so people are aware of that. But again, I would say to that person, have a look at our website. There's lots of really useful information there. Somebody else said, um, again, you might need to look into this, Ashling, but uh, they're coming in hot and heavy. You're, you are popular, I have to say, so you are this morning. I'm a celiac, and when I worked, I got 20% back on gluten-free food, which is very expensive. Also, medical certs. As uh, Now I'm a pensioner. I can't claim any tax back uh, to do with it, and it cost me quite a bit on gluten food, uh, gluten-free food. Uh, private insurance, just wondering if anything is available for us to reduce our costs. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. So no. I suppose, again, like where there is a tax relief due, in order to get the relief, you have to have paid tax. Yeah. So for that individual, there wouldn't be anything from a revenue point of view. But I don't know if other departments may be able to assist. Um, sorry, no, that's not much use. No, no, no. no I, I, I wouldn't have think. I mean, if you're a pensioner, you can't claim tax. You've just outlined it because you're not, you're not paying tax uh, from there. So give me the yeah. best website for them to go to because you could be here all day otherwise. Yeah, so our website is www.revenue.ie um, and you can find out there, if you're not registered for my account, you can find out how to register for my account and how to file a return. As I said, there's videos there, there's different information about all the various credits that people are, are, are keen to claim and again, outlining, you know, how you qualify for different relief. So www.revenue.ie. And it's very easy because we have an account because my wife is working and I'm working. And uh, we so we, we have that revenue.ie that you can put in your the claims that you would have on an annual basis. And it's very simple to do, to be quite honest. Now, if I can do yeah, it, it really anybody is. can do it, Ashley, to be quite honest. Uh, but it is, it yeah, is, and we, we design it with the, like we design all our systems with the average person in mind. And I suppose sometimes the language, people can be scared about tax language, but again, it's all plain language. And like that, I always think if my mother can understand this now, um, we're on to a good thing. And as you can see from the number of people filing, people yeah. are engaging and it's not that scary. So just have a look and try your best. And again, if people have any queries, they can submit them to us on our online account, uh, my inquiries, and we'll get back to them then. Ashley, are you saying I'm average? Because I've come up a long way if I'm only average at this stage. <laughs> but thank you for joining <laughs> us today. Ashley Mewelon, thank you for joining us. Uh, Revenues National POA Manager. I'm average. That's great, lads. I've come up a long way. We're with you until 12 midday today. Now, though, the emergency department at University Hospital Galway, as you heard on local news this morning, is extremely busy today. Patients who attended the ED for routine and non-urgent treatment uh, will experience some very, very long waiting times. Uh, let me go, though, to uh, the telephone line. I should have uh, Chris Kane, General Manager, indeed, of University Hospital Galway. Uh, and she joins you on the line. Uh, Chris, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Uh, a very busy time. January always is a busy time, but there are restrictions today and you you want to make an appeal to people. Yeah, so um, we've had uh, very clearly very high numbers of patients um, 
I suppose, attending ED, but also a high number of patients requiring admission. Um, so that actually then puts uh, pressure on bed available bed capacity. Um, so therefore, um, at the moment, there have been very significant delays um, in ED, um, patients waiting longer than they should, and also that we've had to actually activate our escalation plan and place trolleys at ward level. Um, so as it stands yesterday, we had 249 attendances and there were very significant delays. We had very high numbers of patients um, that required um, beds and we had to place trolleys on ward. So at the moment, we've used all escalation spaces and we've also had to use our surgical day ward. Um, and that in, in, in itself creates uh, more problems because we've had to cancel um, some patients that would have had to come in there today. So that creates its own um, challenges. So we do apologize for the delays and also for anybody who has their uh, scheduled um, surgery or appointment cancelled. Um, and we will try to um, get patients back in again. But just at the moment in relation to we're asking patients if they can. Yes, absolutely. If you have an emergency and you need to come to ED, absolutely come. Um, but if you could use your GP or your out-of-hour service in the first instance. Um, and the other thing is that we also are trying to get patients um, discharged. So if a relative or a family member is being discharged, if uh, the relatives could collect patients as early as possible, that would be also appreciated. 249, that's 10 an hour over a 24-hour period. That's a lot of people presenting. Yes, it is. And I think the issue uh, for us yesterday was that we had uh, clearly very high numbers of patients on trolleys. So we had over um, 56 patients on trolleys yesterday, um, of which um, 38 of those were in ED. So that's very high numbers and the staff were under significant pressure there. Um, and I do want to thank them um, because they were working in very difficult circumstances. Um, but clearly we have um, alleviated that somewhat today. So in relation to there's currently 22 in ED awaiting beds, but we still have 19 on ward trolleys and we still have um, 10 in our surgical day ward. So whilst we have um, tried to alleviate the situation in ED, the hospital is working at very full capacity. Um, so it is a challenge. Can I ask you roughly how many beds would you have within the hospital, roughly? We have over 600, 640, 650 beds, so um, all of those are used. I suppose this morning we would have one bed in critical care. We have a stroke bed, um, and we would have bed kept for a CCU. Um, I suppose that's outside of maternity, etc. And uh, we have also been transferring patients over to orthopaedics in hospital too, and we also are using some beds in the Galway Clinic and the Bonds. That's a lot of beds, so it is, and it just shows the capacity. Yes. But I mean, if you if you take the beds at six hundred and forty beds, and then you take two hundred and forty nine presentations yesterday, I mean, the the ratio is it's it's it just shows the pressure that you're under and how well, quickly it can come well on. Over, yeah, we're working well over one hundred percent occupancy in relation to. So we've also opened um, overflow beds, cubicles um, in relation to um, the old ED area. We did that on Monday. Um, so we are maximising in relation to what available trolley spaces that we have in cubicles, but clearly it, it's not meeting demands. We do currently have, um, I suppose, patients as well with respiratory illnesses. We have, um, I suppose, in terms of flus and COVID, there's about 30 patients currently within the hospital. And I suppose there also is 
sometimes a lack of isolation facilities, so that mm. does. But at the moment, in relation to, we don't have any closed beds, um, so we are utilising all beds available. Can I ask you, I mean, the beds are quite extensive, and the figures are quite extensive. How are you managing to staff all of this? Because if you open the day ward outside of the day, yeah. it's te- technically it's a day ward, so it operates no, mate on the 6th. No, to, yeah, to staff, um, staff have been great um, in relation to, so staff have been doing overtime. Uh, we've also had to um, employ agency staff, um, and clearly um, staff are stretched, um, I would have to say, in relation to trying to maintain. And I suppose when you put trolleys on wards, that creates more pressure as well. Um, but we're trying to alleviate some of the risks in ED. So going back to the key message then, Chris Kane, today, if you have to present yourself in the ED department, go ahead and do it, but you will be waiting a while. If you can yes, avoid so. going to ED today and go to your GP or your out-of-hour service, or you go to Roscommon, depending on where you are, or you go to Port Yonkla, um, c- consider that. Uh, or otherwise, j- just talk to your GP. Rather than just rocking up into ED, uh, you will be there for quite a while. That's absolutely, and I, we do apologise for the delays that people experienced in the last number of days, um, but clearly we are challenged. We have, it's, the situation is slightly a little bit better today, but um, as the attendances rise again in the evening, the same scenarios start to recur. So it is a very difficult situation, and it is very clearly the January surge, um, and our escalation plan is in place, um, but we do appreciate um, if people could take those measures and also clearly if a patient is for discharge if they can collect them as early as possible. If you had a thousand beds by the way yesterday they would have been full with the 249 people so it isn't really all about the number of beds you have it's about um, the conditions that are presenting in ED and what has to happen to them. Yes, absolutely. So it takes time So, and it's a variety of different conditions. Um, we are seeing still clearly you know, a high number of elderly presentations, you know, the way that do need to come, you know, absolutely. Um, but clearly in relation to that creates its own challenges, you know, that way in terms of trying to find um, beds for those patients, you know, that way. And absolutely we know that, you know, patients who are wait a long time in ED, um, you know, that that's not good from a patient perspective. So absolutely um, it's not ideal, um, but there is a bed capacity deficit in Galway, absolutely. For those awaiting, finally, Chris King, General Manager of University Hospital Galway, for those awaiting uh, perhaps discharge for respite care to nursing homes and facilities like that, uh, is that going according to plan or in, and are families facilitating that transfer? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So we utilise um, capacity um, in nursing homes and respite, but however, that's also challenged the other way. So there may not be um, beds available mm. um, in relation to respite, etc., or there may not be... Um, particular nursing homes um, in a certain area or home support. So we are working with our community colleagues to try to address that. Um, But clearly at the moment, I think we've 25 delayed discharges. So that's also adding to um, bed pressures as well. Chris Kane, General Manager of University Hospital Gova, thank you for joining us today on the programme. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you, Keith. All right, good morning to you. Welcome in to today's uh, programme. So Jocelyn has packed up her bags and left town and she took Isha with her as well, so she did. Let's hope there's no more wind for the next couple of weeks at least. Uh, I know there's been some structural damage and trees half down and not down and 
uh, lines down as well. Uh, so just be very careful out and about uh, today. Quite a bit of debris too, by the way, of um, small twigs and bits of trees and all that type of stuff uh, coming into work this morning. So just take it nice and handy uh, on the road. But can we just compliment uh, the emergency services and all the staff from Galway City Council and County Council uh, because they were doing Trojan work yesterday. Absolutely Trojan. Uh, the traffic yesterday evening going home. Uh, I was heading home about about half four, I'd say. Yeah, about half four-ish. And it was absolutely chock-a-block. Um, and there were some traffic lights out in my colour. I don't know if they're back yet, but they were out yesterday evening when I was heading that way. Um, but again, just to all the outdoor staff that went out and about uh, yesterday in Galway County Council, Galway City Council, and uh, the Gardaí indeed, and uh, the fire services, um, and anybody who was out and about yesterday that found it very difficult, uh, thank you indeed to all of you for um, just doing what you did because it made it a bit easier. And thank God indeed, um, the ESB are doing Trojan work this morning in networks. Uh, the networks team, they're out and about and they're trying to reconnect people. Irish Water are trying to reconnect people with water as well. Uh, so a lot of that type of stuff going on. And uh, yeah, let us just, um, let's just thank them all. Uh, just a sincere thank you uh, to the whole lot of them for what they've done. And again, putting themselves just to, could have been at home with their families and or otherwise, uh, but putting themselves indeed uh, in the position that they were in just to um, keep things ticking over. Now, I don't know, was Jocelyn as bad as Isha? It certainly wasn't as bad in our area or our house uh, last night. It was flipping bad enough, uh, but uh, it wasn't as bad as... Um, issue was uh, from there. Now, if you want to get your comments into us, we'd like to hear from you today. Uh, quite simply, you can do them uh, to 86 38 33 55 3 uh, today. That's uh, the telephone number from there. Now, though, let me move on today because I want to go to Maddie Julian, who joins me from Digibet. And uh, Diabetes Ireland is uh, delighted to announce the arrival of a multi-award winning uh, self-management app and video platform in Ireland. But Maddie joins me on the line today. Uh, Maddie, good morning to you. How do I pronounce Is it Digibet? Or be- how do I pronounce it? It's Digibeat. G- yeah. Digibeat. D- digital well, diabetes, it actually stands for. My uh, producer was correct and I said he was wrong, but sure, I'm saying that every second day, so yeah. So Digibeat, um, how does it work, can I ask you, Maddie, and what's involved in it for people with diabetes? Yeah, so it's um, a self-management um, support app. So for young people and families diagnosed with di- type 1 diabetes, it's a lot to manage, it's a lot to organise. Um, diabetes comes into your life and kind of puts a wrecking ball right through it. And um, the idea of Digibeat is that we extend all the support that the clinics can offer, but we give it in a package that can be available 24-7. So it's an out-of-hours service, if you like. Um, for managing your type 1 diabetes. And do you so still have to do the... education on there, yeah. Do you still have to do the blood test and all that? Yes, absolutely, yeah. You still need to do all of your... Uh, you'll have your, your monitors. So a lot of young people now will be on um, what you call continuous glucose monitors as well, and some people will be blood checking through blood strips. Um, but what you'll be able to do is keep a track on your, you know, your, um, your overall health, so you can put in your results in there and... Um, you, um, I've got access to all of the bits of information education you need. So, you know, when you're having a, a sick day, for example, you've got instructions and, and things that, you can, that can help you manage those, those days. So um, you're not needing to constantly kind of call your provider. I know that uh, Kieran O'Leary is quoted indeed in the press release that I have in front of me. And Diabetes Ireland CEO Kieran O'Leary said we're delighted to make uh, Digibeat 
uh, available to families of 3,000 children and adolescents living with type 1 diabetes in Ireland. That's a significant amount of people, in your words, that the wrecking ball has come into the house of. Mm. It's a very, uh, it's a very, a very tricky, um, yeah, uh, condition to manage, and it's very, um, you know, um, constant, and it's something that's in people's lives sort of all the time. So it never leaves you. It's there at night. It's there in the morning, and you get this expertise in hospital. But when you're at home, you're on your own, you know, and that's what DigiBeats there. It's a critical friend. It's the nurse in the pocket. It's to support you through all of those difficult times. Uh, where can they download it then? Is it from, say, Apple Store, and is it from the, the, the you know, from Android phones from their their Play Store? Absolutely, yeah. So you can go to Google Play. You can go to the Apple Store. Um, there's instructions on the Diabetes Island site as well. Takes you straight to our app page. So if you go to Digibeat, there's an app um, uh, page that you, it takes you through the instructions. You get a code from your clinic. Um, so any young person or family who's got type 1 diabetes can get a code now um, to access the app from their clinic and the clinic, their clinic can communicate with them through it so they can keep them up to date with uh, their appointments and things but also um, uh, Diabetes Island can keep them up to date with any support events and um, family events to help them too through the app. So DigiBeat is spelled D-I-G-I-B-E-T-E and that's uh, DigiBeat uh, from there. Uh, so if you want to get further details, and uh, D-I-G-I-B-E-T-E uh, from there. Is there a cost involved in it, can I ask you, Maddie? No, it's free for families. Um, so the idea of DigiBeat, we're a not-for-profit organisation and we try and um, try to scale out our support. Um, so we're families with diabetes who have made the app um, and uh, we're very much part of the community and uh, we're here to support the widest community that we possibly can. And we'll be coming over and we're filming families in Ireland too and bringing those families onto our resources. And I suppose those resources uh, moving, I mean, we're talking today about young people, um, but those young people become adolescents and then become adults and then, but they have to live with it all of their life. They will. Unfortunately, type 1 diabetes at the moment, there is no cure. Um, and that's a really hard thing to swallow when you get diagnosed with type 1. Um, but, um, you know, there are advances and things are getting better and I think the, the systems are getting better as well. So we're getting these kind of um, uh, pumps and CGMs that talk to each other now, um, continuous glucose monitors and things, um, uh, to create these, these closed-loop systems. So the, the, it is getting better, but the um, understanding of how to manage it is still really complex and difficult to disseminate amongst families and friends and carers and and DigiBeats there to support mm. you and, and, and be a backdrop to that. So uh, recently we had a major jobs announcement here in Galway with a company called Dexcom uh, and they're in this field as well. So would, would Dexcom be some of those monitors that you're talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the young people will be on Dexcom. Um, they'll be, that, instead of having to do lots of finger pricks now, they'll be using Dexcom. Um, we hope to integrate with Dexcom. Actually, we're in the process of, of, of looking at that at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, Dexcom is a way of kind of managing their blood glucose, but managing mental health is a, is a whole other thing, and DigiBeats there to support with that. Yeah, um, it, it's very important. It doesn't matter what age they are, once they're young and their mental health mm-hmm. and the concerns and why me and if I didn't have this, mm-hmm. and, and then getting through education with diabetes mm-hmm. has its own challenges as well. That's correct. It's... Um, yeah, it has a huge impact. I mean, um, you know, the, the the number of young people reporting 
like instances of mental health crisis and things over here uh, in England and, uh, and and over in the UK is, is, is high too. And it's the same in Ireland. It's it's just because it's so complicated to manage and it just adds such a complexity. Imagine going to school and then having to inject for every bit of food you have or worrying about how the sport might impact you, sending you low and, um, you know, just constantly having to be on top of your numbers. Um, and there's also a big pressure to keep those numbers, you know, within range because that keeps you well in the long run. So um, for a lot of young people, it's just it's just a, on top of adolescence. It's a, it's a very crippling condition really and it needs as much support as possible um and uh, yeah we're here to help you with that and it's important indeed um when okay so they get into adolescence then they get into college and when they're away from college mm-hmm. it's very important for the uh, student in question that has type 1 diabetes that they keep on top of those numbers because if they don't it, it could it could change life altogether for them Absolutely. So, you know, there are um, lots of, we've got lots of evidence of people, unfortunately, you know, when they get to uh, uh, young adult services, they fall off, they they don't go to clinics for a little while and then they come back and they have longer term complications because, you know, it's just unlike your average person who can go off the rails a little bit in their 20s and come back and for someone with type 1 diabetes, uh, that will affect their average glucose numbers which will be having an effect on their organs so you know it's just so important that that's all monitored and um, keeping people in the system so digibeat's available up to 25 so should see you through some of those more challenging times but really just um, helping young people and families to understand why they need those annual checks why they need to keep on top of their diabetes in a way that's kind of digestible and and human uh, and not just about the numbers because uh, the tech is great, but we need we need to, you know, be, be thinking about people's emotional well-being as well. All right. Um, Maddie Julian, D-I-G-I-B-E-T-E, span, that's pronounced Digibeat, if you want to get further details um, from the App Store from there. Thank you indeed for keeping in contact with us. Yet to come on the programme, by the way, don't forget us here. It's a wonderful book indeed, very hard to read, um, but... Good Lord, the content of it. The author is with us anyway, just after the nine o'clock news or the uh, ten o'clock news. He joins us in the studio. But there is a launch of the book uh, tonight in Charlie Burns, and we give you full details of that as well. Uh, but the book has been launched tonight in Charlie Burns, and if you want to go along to that and meet the author, you can do so. And it's about his time, n- not willingly, by the way, uh, in Guantanamo Bay, where he was brought as a very young student. And uh, I, I read, I read part of the book. I've read a quarter of the books I have at this stage. Um, it's just shocking, but it's enlightening too. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of people out there, by the way, that have an awful lot to answer for. But we look at that next. Stay tuned for that and more to come on the programme.